extremely excited to welcome Mr. John S. Pennington Jr. It's a mouthful. How about that name? Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of John Pennington's, oh, right? Oh, yeah. My family's got a lot of them. I'm actually the fifth. I have a son who's the sixth, and I have a grandson who has uh, John Pennington. He's at Roman numeral seven on his birth certificate. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's yeah. fantastic. Now, so. get, get, get this. I have a sister named Jonna. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. My family, yeah, yeah. They love the name John. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, my brother, um, it, ended, it ended with him, but my brother, uh, my dad's name is Rafael Rafael Avenino Julian Mendez Martinez. Wow. And my brother inherited that last name. And I think my brother was so excited about it mm-hmm. that he wanted to just keep it for him and he didn't have his children inherit oh, that okay, name. Okay. So it ended there. It ended with the third. He's the third. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're, to me, you're a very interesting and amazing human being. Well, thank you. Like thank we can you. go well, on. Back to you, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Just to talk we, to you. We can go on for days and days and it's just really cool, high level conversations. And what I really like about you is you're hyper intelligent, but you know how to explain things with simplicity. I like doing that. Yeah. And boil it down. Yeah. Get it down to the real. Yeah. yeah. And I love the quote by Leonardo da Vinci that says sophistication is the ultimate or simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication. Okay. Meaning you can take a really complex topic, yeah. but if you can explain it simply, you truly understand that topic. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, so you're here at a certain point now where you've been able to be retired. Yes. And you're still doing a ton. I guess my first question would be what drives you? Because there's a crazy drive in you that's just magical and yeah. you're a light to so many. So I guess what, what drives you? Well, I'll tell you what drove me from when I was a teenager until I retired a few years back. And the year of retirement is 2020? 2021. 2021. Yeah, we retired in 2021. And uh, I remember looking into the mirror when I was a teenager. I don't know, exact 17, 16, somewhere in there. And I seriously said these words. I looked in the mirror and I said, John, you're not afraid of being poor. You're not afraid of being old. You're just afraid of being old and poor at the same time. <laughs> and that drove me for decades and decades and decades. And I you know, started, you know, I think 14 businesses in my career and three made a lot of money, three I lost money on and the rest of the middle, all they all did pretty good, you know, but everyone I learned from, and if you went back in time, I wouldn't take away the losers because what I learned in the losers helped me in the winners kind of thing. But anyway, that's kind of the drive that I had this whole time. And uh, now since retirement, uh, my grandkids drive me and and getting up every day and uh, just trying to learn something new other than how to make money. Um, trying to do something different. Uh, so yeah, that, that's where I'm at today. How yeah. many grandkids? Five grandkids, yeah. Awesome. And yeah. I know you talk about about them all the time, so yeah. I know they're pride and joy. That's oh, super yeah. awesome. Oh, I love them, yeah. So congrats for that. It's 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 different with grandkids. Oh, that's yeah. what my uh, my parents and people who are grandparents in my circle always say. Yeah, no, it's, it's really funny. And they all live within 15 minutes of me. I see them all the time. That's awesome. I have friends that have grandkids like in Europe and stuff, and I'm like, man, how do you do that? But I just... I, you know, my grandkids just, I see them at least once a week, all of them. Yeah. And you, you actually built, um, a vacation home or two so that you could have your grandkids experience those vacation homes alongside with you. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We have three homes and we have one North and one South and one here in Salt Lake city. And, uh, one for the warmth in the winter, one for the yeah. heat, you know, it, it, by the lake. And it's, it's been really fun. Yeah. Really I think fun. I remember you telling me that you may be considered somewhere warmer, either Hawaii or Florida or something. And then your wife is like, uh, well, the, the grandkids, the, well, like, it was, the, it was the grandkids, but it was also, she didn't want to get on a plane. Mm. She's like, if I want to go somewhere, I want to just, I want to make it easy. Just 
grab my purse and grab you and get in the car. And we'll, we're, you know, a few hours we're there, you know? So that was kind of what she wanted. And I said, okay, I like it. Rather than having to book a plane and book a whatever and book a whatever and book a whatever and then get there. That was kind of her thing. So anyway, we decided to stay, you know, kind of close all in Utah, but That's in awesome. the mountains down South in the desert. And then here in the middle. So, Super yeah. smart. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then you're also very well known for the world of funds, F-U-N-D-S, yes, which my, are fun. A fund, yes. A, a pool of money, which is a limited partnership. And my my son who teaches people how to do funds and my other son who runs some funds, they have kind of put me on the map because they're big podcasters and they uh, they put me on the map in, in the funds and they have me speak at some of their some of their functions and such. So yeah, it's uh, it's been fun and fund to speak at these organizations and, and these uh, uh, masterminds and I, and I speak at a lot of friends, masterminds and such, but I don't charge anything. I, I, I pay for my own flight. I pay for my own hotel. Cause when I get on stage, I just want to say, listen, I just want, I'm here just to transfer some knowledge from me to you. And over a two and a half day, 15 speakers, there's not a lot of people can say that. A lot of people have been paid to be on stage. A lot of people have gotten their flight paid for or their hotel paid for. And and all of these, my sons and, and, and friends that I speak for uh, at these big conferences, I just, I, I have enough money. I don't need your money. Kind You're of probably going to get a lot of bookings right now. Yeah, right? there you, you go. Saying there that. go. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and it's an honor. I'm actually going to have you um, present at my event. So, yes. thank you for being there. I'm super excited yes. about that one. And I did, I'm not charging anything. I'm there. I'm just there for you, right? There I'm you there go. for you. You need, you, you're a friend of mine. You said, hey, I have got a need. And I said, sure. If, if my calendar fits and I'm in that, am I in that region? Yeah. Well, I'll you actually, it. I'll do it. It wasn't fitting and right. you made it fit. So I made I, it fit. Yeah. I appreciate. I changed um, my flight. My head, I had another flight going out that day, but I just bumped it back a few hours. So yeah, I'll be there I at appreciate your next, next event. Yeah. yeah. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Um, so let's, let's dig into these funds. Um, because I think for a lot of viewers, it's, it's kind of something they don't understand. Yes. That's so correct. maybe let's bifurcate it. Let's explain what a fund is, what yep. it's, what, what it's design is meant to do. Yep. So that we can um, build from there. Sure. So I started my first fund in 2004. And the reason I did it in 1999, I watched a, um, a newscast. And it was like, these newscasters were like demonizing fund managers. Like they're making way too much money and they're paying really low in taxes. And I was like, I don't want to demonize those guys. I want to be one of those guys. So it took me five years. I, I seriously set a goal in 1999 to launch my own fund. And in 2004, I finally did it with, a, with a, another gentleman, a partner of mine. And we launched our first fund. And that was 2004. And by 2021, uh, I had 32 partners. And we had 4,000 employees in 33 states. And we managed $28 billion as center management. And we managed uh, and bought and sold and managed and fixed up all kinds of huge real estate all over the all over the United States and real estate funds, meaning we did debt funds and equity funds. And it's even bigger now. I think uh, I'm partner emeritus uh, these days and I, we manage about 48 billion, but I've been retired for two, you know, about two years. I'm, I'm totally retired. But anyway, a fund is basically this. If you know how to do something in on this planet to make money and the only thing stopping you from doing bigger or making it scale is money, then a fund might be just the thing for you. A fund is designed for a general partner, someone who knows what they're doing. Let's say they know how to buy and sell dental offices. Okay. And they, they own, they're a dentist and they own two dental offices, but they believe they could do 500 dental offices over, you know, 10 years. Only thing stopping them is money. If they had money, they could, you know, start 
chunking out different cities and making dental offices and, and making, you know, buying, getting insurance better at economy of scale, buying equipment economy of scale and hiring dentists. And so if that, that might be a fund that would be called the dental office fund. So a limited partnership is a pool of money. It's a, it's an entity where investors invest into the limited partnership as investors. And that, in, that limited partnership goes out and buys and fixes up and gets dental offices going and a general partner, which would be like you, Jeff or me, or we were dentists, then we would be the general partner. And we we're like the president of that fund. And we go out to investors and we knock on their door and say, investor, have you ever decided, have you ever thought about putting some of your investment capital into dental offices? They're very profitable. And if you come in and do this with me, then when, when we make profit, we'll share in the profit and you'll get the lion's share of the profit because you're the investor and I'm the general partner. And that allows someone to go from two dental offices to 500 dental offices in 10 to 15 years. And then you can take those five and then sell them off or they are all paid for and they just, they're a cash cow and all the money comes up and then goes to the splits every year or every quarter. You split the profits between the general partner and the limited partners. And that's basically what a fund is. It's a mechanism or a structure that is a, is a way that uh, Americans can raise large amounts of capital for investments. And, but the definition of a general partner is usually a general partner is an expert at something. Maybe you're an expert at buying and selling biotech companies. Maybe you're an expert at selling dental, dental offices. I don't know, but so you, you have some expertise that an investor that has some capital they want to tap into. And this is an arrangement, a fund is an arrangement where they can tap into your expertise and you can tap into their capital and you both can win. That's what a fund really is. That's yeah. awesome. Fantastic explanation. Yeah. Really simply put, it makes a lot of sense. There you go. Boil it down to simplicity. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Um, how big was your first fund? The first fund, we were rolling about, oh man, I, 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 with debt and equity, in funds you have a you have debt investors and equity investors. And I think we were about 40 to 50 million. We were rolling over and over and over. Um, and you chose real estate from the onset, correct? Well, it was because it was, you know, it's, it's the safe bet. You know, you don't, you know, it, we were doing real estate loans, our first fund, our first couple of funds. And so, you know, you do a loan on a real estate property and you, you, you get a first deed of trust position. And if the person doesn't pay you back, then you, or the person, let's say, dies in a bus accident accidentally, then you still have the property that you can foreclose on and your investors don't lose money because, you know, if the property is worth, you know, uh, $5 million and you only lent $2.5 million, then if the person dies or doesn't pay you back, then you have a, a asset. It's an asset-based lending. But it's not like I'm lending on cars because cars can be stolen. I'm lending on real estate because you can't really unbolt the house and take what you can, but you can't unbolt the house and take it with you or unbolt an apartment complex, take it with you. So it's a safe investment for investors. And me as a general partner or me and my partner as a, me and my associates are general partners and lending on real estate allowed our investors safe investments with a good return. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's how we started. Yeah. Beautiful. And then, I mean, you've been in the world, the funds for super long time. We meant, we mentioned dental offices, I guess what's one of the craziest in a good way fund that you've seen like an asset class that you're like whoa there's a fund for that well and that's that's why i bring it i was at a conference this is a long time ago i'm sitting at a conference in new york uh and i'm sitting by a guy and he he's running a bio bio uh a bio company fund a biotech fund and i said what, what do you mean he goes well we go out and we take a small <laughs> there's a there's a huge biotech company that's buying a small biotech company 
and the and the biotech let's say the small biotech companies getting bought out for uh, five billion, but it's it, they're going to pay them one billion a year for five years. Well, the small biotech company needs money now. They don't need they need a little bit of money, but they need you know you have to stay ahead of the game. So they need R and D money. So this guy and his group raised money, and they would step in the middle, and they would pay the the small biotech company four billion cash. And then they would take the payments for five years from the large big biotech company and they'd make a billion dollars. They're just arbitrage. Arbitrage. Yeah. And, and at the time, at the time I, I sat there and he was, they, he said he's, they had AUM of uh, 35 billion. And I said, you, you deployed 35 billion doing that one strategy. He goes, Oh yeah, yeah. And he goes, we're trying to raise a second fund. I said, well, how much trying to raise in the second fund? Mm, another 30 billion. I, I was like, I was like, you there's enough. He goes, oh, there's so much demand. I, we, we have so much demand. And so in reality, you know, there's a fund for everything. If you, if you, know, if, look, if you can run 10 hot dog stands and you want to do 5,000 across the nation, there might be a hot dog stand fund for you. You know, you could start a hot dog stand fund. Any way that if you can expand a business, if you know how to do it, or you believe you know how to do it, and you're already making money, you know, that, that's a fund structure. So Love that. There, you Love that. there you go. That's great. Um, so going back to your first fund, so you chose real estate as your asset class. Yeah, were you safe? A, yeah, safe. Were you a real estate operator before? No, you No, no, no. I, I had I had to find extreme great talent. I look. I I can underwrite a twenty unit apartment complex. I needed talent that can underwrite twelve hundred unit apartment complexes, right? And so we just ha- I had to go out and find that talent. We were always searching. Me and my first partner, seriously, we sat in a little office, no, no bigger than this little office here. And we were just, you know, going out and doing loans. And we realized that if we wanted to be really large, we had to bring in more talent. And we realized that we didn't have the chops to do it. I, I don't know how to underwrite a 1200 unit apartment complex, but a 20 unit apartment complex I can do. And so that's kind of how we just started to acquire talent. But we acquired talent by giving up pieces of the general partnership equity. Right. So this, this is, this is what I've found over the years. You know, if you want to, if you, the, the, the top stockbroker in New York, right. He went to the Ivy league school. He's working on wall street for 10 years. You know what he thinks about every day when he drives to work, Ooh. he's driving to work or riding the subway thinking about one day I'm going to start my own investment fund. And then you go to like, say a, a, a you know, a big bank that they've got this guy that's working there 15 years. He's underwriting and doing underwriting for loans for 17 story apartment complexes in New York. You don't think I think about every day. One day I'm going to start my own real estate fund when he's driving to work. So I, I I knew that I'm, I'm looking for that dude or that lady, right. That's got that experience. They've got all the talent. They, they know way more stuff about real estate than I ever know. Right. And I say to them, this is hypothetical, but this is how kind of how it happened. Listen, do you want to be work for someone else the rest of your life? Or you want to become an owner? If you come with me, you're going to take, you're going to make less in salary for a while, but you're going to be an equity owner in the general partnership of this fund and the next fund and the next fund. And that's in essence how I, we, I shouldn't say I, but we attained like 32 partners over all those years and, and ended up managing tens of billions of dollars. Right. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And these 32 partners, they're in their own right experts in that specific asset. Class, everyone correct? had, yeah, everyone's got their experts all around everyone, you know, uh, yeah, there there's in a fund, there's three basic personalities. There's a personality who knows how to raise capital and there's a personality who's an investment a specialist or chief investment officer. And that chief investment officer in this, let's say in fund a knows how to underwrite dental offices. And then you start a, 
a second fund. And that's, this investment officer is an expert. He's been buying and selling biotech companies for 15 years, right? So it's a biotech fund. And then you have another fund that does hot dog stands. This guy sure. knows, you know, so that's the next. And then the, the, the middle one, the middle circle is the personality of, you know, the person who knows the, the compliance. They know how to do the accounting. They know how to do the fund, ma- fund operations. They know how to send out investor letters every quarter. The asset management it's, side. It, it's the back office side, right? You, those are three different personalities. Now, in the beginning, I did all three. And my first partner, we did all three. But as you grow and get larger and larger, you have to you know, consolidate what you're doing. Like, I, I'm a good money raiser, but I'm not a great money raiser. And I knew, we knew going forward, we needed to hire or find great money raisers, right? And so that's kind of how we just drew those three circles out and said, these are the three circles we need to keep trying to attract talent mm. with. And that's kind of how we went for it. Yeah. So at Bridge Investment Group, you had apartment complexes. What other um, real estate asset classes did you have? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it, it's a large multifamily, large senior assisted living, large um, manufactured uh, uh, housing. Office, office space, right? Uh, then now we're in industrial property and then we also do debt financing on those. And we also, you know, you know what opportunity zones are, yep. the new, the new, we also have dove into the opportunity, opportunity zone area right yeah, there. So, that's cool. Yeah. And then your company, you guys took it public, um, just when you retired, correct? Yep. Yep. Two, th- two years ago when I retired, uh, we went public on New York stock exchange. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty fun day. And, and that, that was the day and the day, two days before that was my last official I did one board last board meeting and then I was done. And you knew that was your sunset. Yeah. Right? That I, I, that we, we had planned it. My partners knew I was, that was the day I was going. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So it was pretty fun. Yeah. So how is it serving as a, an emeritus, uh, chairman of the board? No, I'm not chairman. I'm not, oh, no, sorry. I'm, I'm emeritus, not on the board. Emeritus, emeritus uh, meaning I'm just over here to the side. And if they ever need me. Yeah. I, tell me, tell me what the official title is again. A partner emeritus. Partner emeritus. Partner okay, emeritus. Got I'm it. a partner. I, I still have a lot of shares and, uh, you know, they can call me anytime they need me. Uh, you, you quickly corrected my title that I just assigned you. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm a Meredith yeah, no, partner. I'm I don't partner have to serve on the board anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my partners are brilliant with a capital B and they always have been That's brilliant. Awesome. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, we, you know, you know, sitting there years ago thinking, how can I get people who are smarter than me? And uh, are smarter than you know, us. And my first partner, we always joke, joked about it. We have to find if we want to be large, we have to find people smarter than us. And luckily, over those years, every single partner that came through the door that eventually became part. By the of, way, that's not very common. I know, I know, but 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 our 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 our, our idea was meaning that takes a lot of leadership and maturity and intelligence from you and your partner. Well, thank you to be able to self-aware. We're self-aware, very self-aware because most people, they feel threatened. Yes. If somebody enters the room who's dubbed to be more intelligent than them. Yes. And a lot of people want to impose their intelligence upon others. Correct. So they can somehow have that power trip over them. Well, this, this, this is a part of me that I, I, I thought about in 1999. You know, I told you I started about 14 business in my lifetime. And I was sitting there one day and I mapped out my life and I said, for one time in my life, I want to go huge. I want to shoot for the moon. I want to risk it all, like just go for it. And I said to myself, John, if you wait until you're 50 years old to do it, you won't know if a supersized idea works for about six years. I mean, Amazon didn't make money for almost a decade. Uh, you know, he didn't, the guy, they didn't know they were going to make any money for almost 10 years. And so I, th- I thought, you know, look, a small idea you can figure out six months, 12 months, it's not working, you, you bail, right? But a big idea, a huge idea, it takes about 
five, six years to know if it's going to really work or not. And I thought, well, if I start at 50 years old, I won't know until I'm 56 and then I'll be out of money and broke. And I'll have to get back and try to figure out how to retire by 70, which is cutting it too close. I'm a conservative dude. And so uh, at 35, I said, look, you know, and and it came up to 2004 when I was 40 and I started my first fund when I was 40. And I said, you know, I, I, I vision, I vision a train slowly going by and each car has a window and the windows kind of come by you in life. And you, you got a chance, you have plenty of time to step through that window and go through that window. But sometimes, and it was, this is a problem when I was younger, I thought, well, with this, I'm not going to step through that window right now, but it might go further and I can just get in a car and r- drive to the next train station and step through that window. And that's not true. Uh, windows come by and if you don't take them, they never come sometimes mm. again. And I, I, I have some, you know, some on my friends or if you go back and you start dating girls in college, right? There's some girls you see and you go, I should ask her out today. I've met her, you know, and I know I should ask her out. And then she, you know, she goes off for a vacation, comes home and you, you can't, you know what I'm saying? You miss the opportunity and you never get that window again. And so uh, I had a window of time that I said, if I'm 40 and I fail by 46 and I say, that was dumb. That didn't work out. My supersized idea. I'll be broke, but I'll have plenty of time by 70 to retire, but not at 56. It'd be too close for me to do. So I said, John, you have to launch your fund now at 40. And so that's when I did it at 40 and it, and it worked out. It right? worked out. It worked out. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about your book. Okay. Super exciting to have your book. Here it right is there. on display. Dollars, gold, and Bitcoin. So yeah. the title it's a yeah. catchy title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's Thank talk you. about that. And I know that one of your hobbies is, is it fair to say it's world currency and just what's going on with the world economy? Yeah, I, I, I study, I study, and, I, and I'm not an expert. I just, I just, it's a hobby. I study the, the dominance of the U.S. dollar over the world over the last, you know, 60, 80 years, right? And it's a phenomenal thing. And my, the premise of my book is, the U.S. dollar, and I know some people aren't going to agree with me, but give me a few minutes to help you convince you. Hopefully, I can convince you. The U.S. dollar is the greatest product ever invented by mankind. It's better than sugar, salt. It's better than iPhones. It's you. They, you know, look, they make a trillion of them, and then they put them out in the public. Everyone wants them, and you and me will work eighty hours a week to get more. Some people will lie, cheat, and steal to get more. Then they make another trillion off the. And then we want it again. It's, it's, it's just, and, and so you study how, how did that become so? How did the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Treasury, with the U.S. Navy, with the U.S. President, with the IRS, how did that team put together such a product that it, it has become the, the best-selling product? It, it sells better than hotcakes. When you say it's selling better than hotcakes, you should stop saying that. It's still, whatever you're, you're making the analogy, it's selling better than greenbacks. Because And that's that's the premise of my book. And so... In studying how this entity uh, created the greatest product of all time, the GOAT of all time products, I kind of patterned my business career out of that, trying to figure out how they dominate, how they push their, how they nudge, and how they, you know, prolificate their number one product. And that's kind of the, the basis of the book is the, is the dollar is the number one currency or number one product of all time. Mm. It's a product. It's a product, right? And so, and, and, and their job... And so some people say the Federal Reserve's job is to keep inflation down. That's one of their jobs. Uh, keep uh, unemployment down. That's one of their jobs. But the underlying is protect and promote the U.S. dollar. 
That's the underlying job of the Federal Reserve because it's their number one product. Protect and promote, protect and promote, protect and promote. And so a lot of people don't know this, but in 1933, after the Great Depression, no, 29, the big stock market crash, the whole country's in, in just, oh, it's down. In 1933, May 1933, a lot of people don't know this. Your grandfather, my grandfather, you could not own gold in the United States of America. If my grandfather, your grandfather, let's say in 1936, had four gold coins in their pocket, they could go to jail. What you had to do in 1933 is you take all your gold, you could have a gold watch or gold necklace, but you had to take all your gold to the uh, treasury or the Fed and put it in and they would give you paper money for it. And it was patriotic because they were saying, you know, we have a Great Depression, we need to sure up our country. And so all American citizens, turn in all your gold, we'll hold that gold at Fort Knox and we'll give you paper money for it. And so that went on from 1933 to at least 1971. Uh, and that was just how it was. Now, it, during those years, if you lived in France and you had a $100 bill, you could turn that in for gold and they would pay you gold for it. But if you lived in Tennessee or you lived in Nevada, you know, you, 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 you were a citizen, you couldn't do that. That was out, it was outlawed, right? And no, people don't know this, right? And so, and then by um, 1944, we're, the, the Second World War is almost over and 44 countries sent about a thousand people to a place called um, Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. They had this big conference and they were going to reset the current system. They knew in 1944, just by mathematics, we were going to win the war. I mean, the United States was producing about 50,000 planes a year. They're, they're, a thousand planes a week are coming off the assembly lines. And Germany's producing 2,000 planes a year. You know, uh, We're making 20,000 tanks a year. They're making... 2,500 tanks a year. It was just mathematics, right? And so we knew we we're going to win. And so um, uh, they came to New Hampshire and they basically said, this is what we're going to do. And this is a crazy, oh, this is a crazy statistic. At this time, because World War I, World War II, we got into the war late and we kept selling our products to countries in war and they kept selling sending their gold, gold, gold. Here's some wheat. Here's, here's a, here's a machine gun. Give me your gold. And so by 1944, the U S and this is a crazy statistic to me, but the U S had in its possession about, uh, 66% of all gold bullion in the world wow. was owned by the United States of America. Anyway, that's why in 1944, they said the U S dollar will be backed by gold, but the French franc now is no more longer backed by gold. It's backed by the U S dollar which is backed by gold. So that's kind of how it went until 1971. And then we, as we all, all governments do, we started printing too much money. And then the, the, the president de Gaulle of France, he, he knew we were doing it. And uh, so he basically he had all these U S dollars and he sent two boats over here in one of our harbors and tried to get, here's our, all our dollars. We want our gold. Right. <laughs> and president Nixon, this was a Sunday night. It was uh, April, August 15th, 1971. President Nixon comes on, on TV and he gets his mom, President Nixon, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> he says, uh, market manipulators around the world are trying to hurt the U S dollar. And temporarily, he says, temporarily, we're going to temporarily stop the U S dollar from being backed by gold. And anymore. that's where it ended. And he didn't give them the gold. They, they had to send their ships back to their friends. <laughs> oh boy. So France, I think is like, um, he, they're an angry uh, angel investor. That's who they are. You know, they helped us in the Revolutionary War, you know, and then they, they did this. And then, 
So anyway, that's kind of how it happened. And so since 1971, you know, this is kind of how it worked out. In 1971, it became the petrodollar because from 1944-ish, the Bretton Woods Agreement, it kind of, it didn't say this, but it kind of worked like this. If you lived in Germany, let's say in 1972, okay, and you wanted to buy gold, I'm not gold, you want to buy oil from Saudi Arabia, okay? You can't like wire your German Deutschmarks to Saudi No, it doesn't work that way. You have to wire your Deutschmarks to the Federal Reserve in New York through the SWIFT system, which is dollar dominated, yep. and then change them into US dollars, then wire it down to Saudi Arabia, and then Saudi Arabia will send you a tanker of oil. That's how it's worked for since the basically since the war because we're the we're the reserve currency of the world and so um that creates insatiable that's one way they create insatiable demand for their number one product and how do they do this in 1944 basically they said listen you know all the navies of the world are china's navy's gone japan's navy's gone german navy's gone russia's navy's gone italy's navy's gone Italy, uh, uh, Britain's got some of their Navy, but the U.S. has the Navy. Navies are the most expensive thing, or one of the most expensive thing for a country to have. Basically, the U.S. basically said, listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. You guys don't have to have to rebuild your navies. We're good. We're going to police the world. I'll just do one thing for us. Buy all of your oil using U.S. dollars. That was kind of the deal. And that kind of has gone on till still kind of today. And China and Russia are trying to break that right now with the BRICS dollar. They're, they're, they're mad. It looks, if I ran China, if I ran Russia, I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be trying to say, no, no, this is not good. We have to break this monopoly. So if you think about it, in 1960, 45% of the world reserve currency was U.S. dollars. In 2001, I think it hit 70-something percent. Crazy. Maybe 73% of U.S. currency, I mean, of world currency was U.S. dollars. And today, it's 58% of world currency. And so the second, you know, we're 58% of the world currency today, U.S. dollar, the greatest product ever made. The second behind us is the uh, um, the euro dollar, and that takes about 20%. Uh, I think Japan is about, Japan's yen is about 6%. Um, the current China yuan uh, is 2.7%. Now think about what I'm about to say here. China has grown faster than any economy in world history over the last 30 years. They've been growing like crazy. And they went from, in 35 years, they went from 0.2% of world currency, the yuan, to 2.7%. They're not even 3% of the world currency today. And they're, with Russia and all these other countries, are trying to put together the BRICS dollar to break the dominance. So for everybody watching, tell us who all is in the BRICS dollar. The BRICS, sorry, sorry, BRICS. It, it's an acronym, uh, British, <coughs> uh, sorry, not British. <laughs> I got to get the uh, Brazil. Brazil, sorry. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. That's the, the original BRICS people. And they're trying to add today Iran, Argentina, uh, oh, there's a couple other countries. Are they still trying to add Argentina? Well, no, Argentina's <laughs> kind of backing out, right? Yeah. They're like, no, 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 we were going to get in. Now we're not going to get in. We're going with the U.S. dollar still. Or we're going to try anyway. So they're, they're picking sides, but they're put, trying to put this block of countries together. And I believe the... To take over the U.S. dollar. Yes. The, the, their premise is we're going to make a BRICS dollar that is backed by commodities. 
you know, if you have a bar- barrel of oil, then you get some BRICS dollars. Which is why they have all these countries so that they can use all their commodities. Yeah, they're commodity rich. They're commodity rich. And if I was Russia and China, I would do, probably do the same thing. Trying to get the monopoly of the uh, US dollar, the greatest product ever invented, off of the world stage. And so they can... Because, look, China wants to buy oil using their yuan because they just print more yuan. Of course. And they buy oh, they, every they control co- it. Every country wants to do that, but they can't. So, because most of it's backed by... And it, why? One of the reasons is because, look, the U.S. has aircraft carriers off the coast of Saudi Arabia. And they protect Saudi Arabia against Iran. And they protect all shipping all over the world. If you have a little teeny country and you're shipping goods across the country across the world, you don't worry about pirates anymore. Because the U.S. Navy, just as long as you're dealing in U.S. The dollars, dollars for oil, protected. they're like, no problem. Here so that's why folks say it's our new gold standard, right? The U.S. military, more specifically the Navy. Yeah, yeah, the, the Navy, the, in the military, you know, and so you sit there, you sit there with with. So, what year did we get off the um, gold standard? Well, when when uh, when we, we kind of stepped through it, right? But 1971 was 71. the real. It, the, it, it truly became a fiat currency in 1971 with, with President Nixon. True fiat currency, and over time, all governments fiat currency they just print too much money. They print and print and print. The difference is, you know. China on, on percentage basis prints more of their dollars than we print of ours. And so, you know, it's all compared to what? With you know? not as much demand. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of that's kind of a, a part of the book here. That's uh, super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was so 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 strange things happen. Okay, let me just explain the premise of the book here. So you're sitting watching the news and you hear China has just brokered a, a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, who are enemies and they made a peace deal and you're like why but if you put the u.s dollar in the middle you go oh it makes sense here we go if i was china i'd go to iran iran you don't like the u.s that's correct you don't like saudi arabia right okay great but the world is run by u.s dollars and that's the strength of the u.s that's correct okay who do you want to hurt more do you want to hurt u.s or do you want to hurt saudi arabia oh we'd love to hurt the u.s more then stop attacking saudi arabia once you stop attacking saudi arabia then they can tell the U.S. we don't need your military anymore. One day, maybe not this year, next year, but over three or four or five years, we can then take a chunk out of the U.S. dollar's dominance as once Saudi Arabia feels comfortable, they can sell their oil to China for the yuan. And and Iran must have, and this is like what I'm about to say, this is all theoretical. This is hyperbole on my part. But I'm just, I'm inserting the dominance of the U.S. dollar into strange things you hear in the news. And you're like, okay, you can see why Iran said, yes, we will sign a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia because we know over a period of years, Saudi Arabia will feel comfortable now saying to the U.S., we're not going to do the petrodollar anymore. We're going to start selling our oil in yuan to China. And China's a big importer of oil. They're a big importer of food. And so uh, that's one of the things the U.S., the premise of my book is, if you understand how the U.S. dollar works, and the biggest game ever is the U.S. currency dollar around the world, that's how the game. And so, the, what, we, what do we do? President Biden then realizes, wait, we're losing the game in the Middle East. So then, what happens a few months later? President Biden sends about a couple billion dollars to Iran to say, "Hey, we're still friends, right? Still friends." And they're trying to soften and try to get back in that action, right? So you, you sit there without putting in the U.S. dollar in that equation. Both of those things don't make sense. Why would Iran sign a peace agreement with, doesn't make sense. Why would President Biden send billions of dollars? It doesn't make sense. But you put the U.S. dollar in there and the president's job, the IRS's job, 
the SEC, the Treasury, the U.S. Navy, the is to do one thing, protect and promote their number one product. They don't tell you this, but that's really what's going on. And once they do that, then they can do other things. But once that has to happen first before everything happens. And that, me and you, Jeff, our, most of our wealth is in U.S. dollars. We don't want the U.S. dollar to go down, do we? No, because next day I'm, I'm broke, right? And so I'm all for the U.S. dollar. It might be the, uh, the best Ponzi scheme ever, but listen, I, don't get mad at me. I didn't like create the Ponzi scheme. I was born into it. And there's no mathematical way to taper a large Ponzi scheme. You can't do it. The only way to get out of it is to play it all the way to the end. And so the Federal Reserve might be able to play this game 10 more years, 50 more years, 100 more years. I don't know, but I'm going to play it to the end because all of my wealth or most of all my wealth is in U.S. dollars, the greatest product ever created. If that doesn't cause our viewers to want to read your book, <laughs> I don't know what will. So that was amazing. Like, I, yeah, I'm excited. And you're on different platforms, correct? You're also on audiobooks. Yeah, so the book is almost out. I mean, I've got some pre-order books that you can you can get. Um, so this is a very prized possession that I have with me right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Only a few people on planet right now have that, go. right? I'm honored. The, the audio book will be out, we think, I think on audible.com mid-December. And it's my voice. I went into the studio for two and a half months uh, in my home, but they, you know, every day, every morning for an hour, we recorded me and they cut, cut, cut. Anyway, it's my voice. And I wanted to do my own audiobook my own voice because if i hired an actor they don't know which words to emphasize they don't know when to get excited and, and to slow down and i wanted people to feel when i with a certain section of my book they i wanted to feel the excitement or the not and so i just think it was better i think it is better when you listen of to an author oh, yeah. read his own book right and so um, it's my voice so That's if you awesome. want to listen to me for hours and hours and hours oh. that it's right there yeah That's it, but, it, it, but it'll be on audible.com we think by middle December, hopefully by Christmas. So it could be out as soon as that. Great Christmas gift there for you all go. of you guys out there. There you go. And then we have the title, um, including Bitcoin as well. So what does Bitcoin have to do with all this? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, my, my, I, I have an economics degree from the university of Utah years ago and I'm an economics kind of a geek. And, and so in, in, uh, in the summer of 2020, the SEC uh, sued. Uh, uh, I gotta get my get my facts here. Hang, hang on, hang on a second. In the summer of 2020, the SEC sued J.P. Morgan, and J.P. Morgan, they caught him manipulating the gold, the precious metals market for nine years. And guess what the fine was? Nine hundred and thirty million dollar fine to J.P. Morgan. Almost a billion dollar fine. What do they do? J.P. Morgan was caught manipulating with, with spoofing orders in all kinds of different ways, the silver and, and partial gold market worldwide, or, or, or the United States, right? Which is a massive market. And so I believe what happened was, and this is a theory, this is part of my book, um, the SEC learned how they can manipulate and control a market. Not kill it. You don't want to kill the market. You just want to control it. And so they, in this, this is the summer of 2020. Okay. So go another year, summer of 2021, you get a, like a low in Bitcoin of 30, it, it comes down to 30 something thousand dollars. And then by, no, by November, it's 69,000. You see the chart go like this. And I believe what happened was the uh, nefarious uh, operators, uh, 
um, <laughs> diabolical plan they put into place. They learned in summer 2020 how to do it. It took them about a year to get in place. And they started to try to control Bitcoin because they saw it as a competitor mm. to their number one product. Like they see the Yuan as a competitor to the number one product. Any competitor they're going to try to control. And so this is this is basically how I, I can't I can't really explain all the the fingers how it happens. But in November 2021, at the all-time high of Bitcoin, $69,000, this what I'm about to tell you all happened in one month. Okay. Um the SEC extended their lawsuit against Ripple, the coin XRP. Ripple is existence is to compete against the SWIFT system, which is one of the ways that they promote the U.S. dollar. Um, the other thing that happened was um, the SEC approved an ETF for Bitcoin futures market. Now, a lot of times in life, you learn more about what people don't do. Right. So if, if the SEC approves an ETF for futures market and then the same month they deny an, an ETF that actually buys and sells Bitcoin. Why? Why would you approve the futures market ETF for Bitcoin, but also disapprove because when they saw what JP Morgan did, JP Morgan used the futures market of silver to spoof orders all day long to control that market. Um, another thing that happened in November 2021 was Hillary Clinton grabbed the microphone. I love to get people that love the microphone and she loves the microphone. She got the microphone and she said, basically, I can't quote her perfectly, but she's basically said, Bitcoin could, is a threat, or could bring down the US currency's world dominance in the US dollar. She said this on, on microphone. Now you can say, Jeff, well, she was just talking off the cuff or what, is that probable? Or was is it probable that months before or weeks before she learned of this nefarious plan of the US government SEC, the uh, the Federal Reserve, to go after and try to control their one of their competitors, Bitcoin, of world currency. And she was trying to be smart and give her memes all a hint. I'm very smart. Always follow me. I'm about to tell you something. And then it hit a pick, pick at 69,000 and then start selling off, right? Now, I didn't think anything about it until about two or three weeks later, end of November, 1st December, Bitcoin for a week traded flat. And I've been watching Bitcoin. I used to own, I don't know, a bunch. I owned a bunch of Bitcoins at one time, at this time. And it traded flat. And I said, Bitcoin doesn't trade flat. I mean, it literally went flat for almost a week. And I said, something's up. And then I got my theories going. I tried to look in, studying it and stuff. And what I believe my theory is, is that um, from 31,000 to 69,000, the Federal Reserve's diabolical group, whoever they are, they started buying Bitcoin, acquiring Bitcoin, acquiring Bitcoin. And what you need to do to, to uh, and, th and that, again, this is all theory, but what you need to do to control a market is you need 45 days of trading volume. So if Bitcoin trades 100 coins a day, you would need 45 days of, of 4,500 Bitcoins, right? And so whatever, whatever, in, in any market, in silver, gold, whatever, you need 45 days. And so what happens is once you acquire 45 days of trading volume, and it hits 69,000. It looks like it's going to $100,000. You take your 45 days of trading volume and you put it at $69,000 for sale. It's, it's a limit order. I have 45 days of trading volume of Bitcoins, $69,000. And people start buying and they try to buy 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 and they can't break through $69,000. And people like you and me go, wow, there's a big seller there. Crap, I better sell too. And so we start selling and it goes down to $68,000. And you know who starts buying? 
the Federal Reserve starts buying at $68,000. They need to replenish their 45-day supply. And then me and you go, wait, there's a big buyer, $68,000. And if we start buying, and it goes back to $68,500. And then they take their 45-day supply, put it right on top, and they won't let it go through because they don't want a higher high because that's a bullish, right, that's a bullish move. And so from that period on, I believe, look, look they don't want to kill Bitcoin because if they crush it to zero, they want to control it. They want to control it because then Ethereum just takes its place. So you want you want to take the the person the thing you know and just control it. And so they controlled it for a lot. And I think I thought they had it controlled because it kept coming back up to 30,000, 30,000, 30,000, 30,000, and it's recently broke up to thirty eight thousand. So right now, I had a few friends uh, ask me a few you know month or so ago. It, once it broke through thirty one thousand, ah, it got out of control again. So the I believe the only way that they can get it back into control is they have to start buying again, which pushes it higher. They have to buy more, buy more, buy more. They got to get 45, maybe 60 days of trading volume to start to control it. And so that's my theory on the US dollar and the number one job of the Federal Reserve. And how do they learn it? They learned it from JP Morgan when they find them a billion dollars for doing it. Now, here's the cool thing. Um, JP Morgan has limited finances. It's not unlimited. And they still controlled the gold and silver market for nine years, which is 30 times larger than the Bitcoin market. The Federal Reserve has unlimited amounts of money. And the Bitcoin market is, you know, uh, I don't know, 470 billion total market cap Bitcoin. Look, during the, <laughs> when, uh, when uh, the Federal Reserve, the, the, the Treasury was buying bonds from the market, private bonds, they bought $120 billion a month for 30 months to keep interest rates down for the, all those years that we had interest rates. When you, when you probably got your 2.78% financing for your sure. real estate. Yeah. How do you get that down? Well, you lower interest rates, but at the same time, you have to, you have to keep bond markets down. So the Federal Reserve, or, or the U.S. Treasury, the government itself on their balance sheet, 120 billion a month for 30 months. Bitcoin right now at 38,000, 37,000 is 470 billion. This is for someone who has unlimited amounts of money, this is not that hard. And the and the fact that a, a company with limited amounts of money, JP Morgan, could control the market for nine years. Imagine what can happen over here. Exactly. And so this is my theory of my book. And this is listen, I'm I wow. I, I don't know if I'm right. I'm just giving myself a, I, look, my, my whole life, I don't like predicting the future. I don't think people can do it. I think the best possibility for me is just to run probabilities. I just look at things and I go, what's the probability of me succeeding in this business? What's the probability of me doing X? And if it's a high probability, I go after it. If it's a low probability, I don't go after it. And I think, I'm, I give myself about an 85% probability of being right here, but I might be wrong. I got yeah. people, I got people listening to me right now on your podcast. John is dead wrong. Great. I, I agree. I have a 15%. I give myself 15%. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying the probability that I'm right with all my evidence is high. Yeah. And if you don't think I'm right, at least you knew, know, you need to understand this side of the story and this side of the argument. At so, least now you have something more yeah, to contest. Yeah. If, if, you, if you're on a debate club in, in high school, you debate both sides of issues sure. so that you make sure you're a good debater. And so at least you understand one side. But, I, but for me, and when I see weird things happen, I always put the U.S. dollar in there and it all kind of makes sense. So look, back in November 2021, look, it should have, Bitcoin should have already been $100,000. 
You did all the math, all the money we printed, everyone, all the presidents, you know, President Obama, everyone, Trump, print, print, print money, print money. That thing should have been $100,000. No easy, no mathematics. It should have been there. And it wasn't. So you go, why? And so this is a theory I have, and that's why I wrote this book. Okay. I love it. It's, it's dense. It's dense. And like you said, I get to the point fast. How many pages is this thing? Oh, it's about 250, 260. Yeah. It's not a very, it's not a very large book. No, it's fast. Because, because I, like I said, I, I don't get into the weeds because it's those big, thick books. They just lose people. There's high abandonment. Yeah. There, 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 there's some books that PhDs write and they're fantastic. But, but I you, said, I'm not going to write a 700 page book. I'm going to write a 250 page book that gets to the points fast, gets the concepts fast. And then I mean, you like anybody that's listening right now, they're following everything that you're saying. It's yeah. really easy to follow. It yeah. makes sense. The yeah. dots connect. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's theory, but that's my style. That's but, my style. And, and contest it. Like there's, yeah, it's great to contest it because we can learn more and more from each other. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been awesome. We we've been going for a while, so it's unfortunately it's time to end okay, this episode. Thank but you. It's Thank been, you for being here though. Hopefully you had a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Really fun. Really um, fun. Yeah. And I definitely want to continue to, have these conversations my mind is blown and just you just start testing all these different ideologies that you have and mm -hmm. and i'm excited to dig um into your book and and read it and and um just discover more of what we just went over so, well congratulations on your success here that you've had and you know, all your former success you know people you, know, you had tremendous personal business success thank you for that and contributing hiring all the people you've did over the years and all the good you've done but also congratulations on your success in this new thank venture you. for you appreciate that in your podcast and getting great ideas out to people and allowing them to listen to different points of view. Congratulations, man. Thanks. So once again, thanks for being on. This is what this show is all about. Yeah. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. And I look forward to many, many, many more moments with you. Thanks, Jeff. So thank you so much again. All right, man. Appreciate thanks. it. See you.